welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. You may be seated, my friends. Uh, hey, everybody. My name's Micah. Glad to be with you. Glad to be here. A um, couple things. Uh, Sorry, these things and masks, they really are tricky. i got to be honest. Um, what am I doing? Community life. That's it, community life. Uh, if you're new, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Uh, there is a place for you to, if you're interested, on our website, click a little button that says I'm new. That will let us know that you are here. Somebody from our team will reach out, connect with you, invite you to a beverage of your choice. Um, and if you call Awaken Home, some things that we want you to know about uh, community life-wise. So first is, today's Advent kickoff. Um, you're here for it, so good job. Way to go. Um, tonight, actually at 4 o'clock, um, there's a large tree out in the front, if you saw it uh, when you came in. Last year, we bought that as kind of a COVID pivot, you know, because we couldn't be together. So we're like, let's buy a giant Christmas tree. So we did. It weighs like 800 pounds. And it was a little bit of a, a oversight on that front, but we've got it, and it's up there. So we're going to light that baby at 5 o'clock tonight. The festivities start at 4. We have meatballs and mashed potatoes for a whole bunch of people, so hopefully you're here to eat them with us. Uh, join us. We'll get meatballs downstairs and head out on the side yard here, and then at 5, Mel will play some carols. We'll sing. We'll light the tree. It'll be just lovely. Um, so that's happening. There's a wintered market happening. If you came in through the gallery, there are some things out there, artists selling some things. want to particularly let, uh, uh, note that uh, the students are back there on the left uh, when, you came in, um, when you leave. They're selling things for uh, raising money for their winter retreat. So if you want to buy a good old-fashioned bake sale, friends. I mean, when's the last time you were at one of those? I don't know. It's been a long time for me. We don't do a lot of bake sales here. So there is one today. Um, buy some things. Or you can just donate money to the, to the youth uh, program. That's out there. There is an Advent meal drive that we do during this time of year. So our care team offers food and, and meals for folks um, who are in the hospital or having babies or any number of things. And so we want to stock that up as the holidays come. If you can help with that, that would be awesome. Uh, details are in the Awaken Weekly. If you want to make a meal, you can bring that and we'll get it in the freezer to be given out. Um, there's an artist mingle happening December the 2nd at Melody's house. There's a poetry prompt in the Awaken Weekly, which you can subscribe to on the, on the website if you're interested. Um, that's at 7 p.m. And then last but not least, uh, next week, the 5th and the week after on the 11th, if you're interested in being a partner at Awaken, which is what we typically, ch churches call members, uh, we call partners, if you're interested in that, December 5th and 11th, you can join us for that. Let us know. We'll provide lunch, and uh, we'd love to know that you're going to be there. Sound good? Awesome. Um, I love Advent for a lot of reasons, but one of them is for the Advent art series that we have done for many, many years at Awaken. If you've been around, you probably recognize uh, that uh, we have usually visual artists and writers. This year, we're adding some actors and actresses. Um, and so today we have a visual artist and one of our writers who will share. So if you would please welcome Vanessa Lucius, who is going to share a little bit about this piece. Good morning. Thank you. Um, so this is a piece, a uh, picture of Mawut Mobile, and no one was ever supposed to see this. This was a sketch done on newsprint in my studio when I was a student. It was supposed to be thrown out and... In God's providence, and God's kingdom, this is probably the piece that has toured the most places. I'm not necessarily proud of it artistically, but um, it has, and it's part of a larger story. But, and that's the story I'm here to tell you. 
Mawut is part of a population called the Lost Boys of Sudan. So he and about 30,000 of his friends and family, ages 2 to 15, had to trek across the largest country in Africa, fleeing persecution. And those who survived, about three-fifths of them, survived attacks from wild animals, the elements having to cross a river full of crocodiles. They survived um, starvation and threats of the soldiers and every day living with the trauma of having seen their villages burned to the ground and their family members raped and killed. I don't know about you, I have a two-year-old at home. She's not even allowed to cross the street by herself. I can't imagine her making it all the way. So this group of boys, mostly boys, some girls, but mostly boys, made their way to one refugee camp. Finally, ah, rest. And then there was unrest there again, political unrest, and they had to go back to the desert. Most of them grew up in Kakuma, a refugee camp in Kenya, and they lived there in a refugee camp, which is a life I can't imagine. They made their way to the United States in 2000 um, when we were still taking lots of refugees. And it was the largest group of unaccompanied refugee orphans in our country's history. So the same resilience that helped them survive lions and all this trauma helped them figure out how to navigate the bus system and not be afraid of escalators. I mean, they had never seen electricity before. So there was a steep learning curve for this group of men. When I met them, I was working on an art project with them, and I would facilitate these art, art workshops on Saturdays and then go back Monday through Friday and just process, and process, and paint, and think, and paint, and I ended up curating this collaborative piece that we exhibited around the state of Michigan to raise money and awareness um, for refugees and for a clinic that they were building back in their village. Anyway, so this piece, this is Mawut, who of all the people that I met, he incarnated hope to me more than anyone else I've ever met. I realized very quickly that if I had been Mawut or a Coke or any of these guys, I never would have survived. And if I had survived, I would live with a spirit of scarcity. I would always, I would have a chip on my shoulder. I would have a lot of resentment, but not these guys. They were incredibly generous and patient and humble. And I remember Mawut telling me that the color to him, the color of hope was blue. And so I was just really wrestling with my own lack of resiliency. And in the studio and pulled out a piece of, you know, newsprint that I was going to throw out and did the sketch of him and then just covered it over. Very angsty, you know, 20-something-year-old. Covered it over in black. And then wiped away... Um, kind of showing tears, but wiping away to see his vision for the future, his vision for his own future, for his people's future, for his country's future. And this piece, I just felt like while I was making it, it was a thin place. I felt a reckoning with the spirit of, again, my own lack of resiliency, but also looking to Mawut, looking to Christ, knowing that there is a different way to live. And so I think as a Christian, I feel convicted, but especially in the season of Advent, Mawut um, and the Lost Boys of Sudan and refugees all over the world show us a different way to live, a way to live in anticipation, in hope, um, looking forward to tomorrow being different than today and different than yesterday, but not doing so from a place of being sedentary or stagnant, doing it from a place of journeying, of sacrifice. Um, so I hope that you'll join me in this Advent season as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, that we won't be sedentary and stagnant but we will be proactive. Um, and if you want to talk about refugees or this piece or anything else, I'll be in the back and I would love to talk more. Thank you. Thanks, Vanessa.
Uh, I want to invite you to stand, if you can, uh, and greet some folks around you past the peace uh, of Christ around the room. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in chapter 9 of Isaiah. All right, friends, if you want to find your seats again, that would be great. And if you have your Bibles, again, I'll, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, before that, I want to invite my friend Brianna, uh, who's going to share a poem on uh, this theme of hope and uh, our name for today, which we're getting to in our series. So, Brianna. Hello. So, like Micah said, my name is Brianna. Um, and as I was preparing to write a poem for the Advent series this year, I was thinking about the theme of hope, which the first candle represents, and also the name Wonderful Counselor. So for the sermon series this Advent, we're going to be talking about the names for the Messiah in Isaiah 9-6, and the first one is Wonderful Counselor. And in English, when I use the word wonderful, I often think it means like really great or beloved, like she's a wonderful grandmother. Um, and I was curious about if that was the same in Hebrew, so I looked it up. And the word in this verse for wonderful, I think it's pronounced pele. And it means wonder, marvel, extraordinary, or even hard to understand. So this word is used about 10 other times in the Old Testament. And a lot of the times it's used for signs and wonders. So supernatural things that are done by God and that are often you know, difficult or confusing. Uh, there's one place where it's even translated astonishingly. And this reminded me of a book study that I was part of at Awaken earlier this year. Um, we read a book called The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann. And in this book, Brueggemann writes about the ways that we experience and understand the kingdom of God, which he contrasts with the kingdoms of the world. And by the kingdoms of the world, he means the systems, religious or political systems or otherwise, that people create and that we trust in. And Brueggemann points out that these systems are not inherently bad and that some of them actually bring good progress, but they tend to try to solve problems by just rearranging the current ideas or the current practices in, in new ways. And so you often end up with, you know, fixing some problems but introducing some other ones or feeling like you keep making changes but nothing is really happening. So true transformation, Brueggemann writes about, requires more than just reconfiguring the same pieces in new ways. We need the power and presence of the divine. So God's voice calling us to something new, often something supernatural and unintuitive. And that's what brings true transformation and also what gives us hope. So those are some of the ideas I was thinking about while I wrote this poem. It's called More Than Peace or Might. Another year limps toward December, every day seeping light at the edges, and I watch the sun set over the Minnesota River, cold drifting in from my second floor window to settle along the oak floorboards like sorrow unspooling into my room. Glass panes rattle in the brittle breeze, and I find myself beseeching you for comfort. But your advent is not a modern metaphor I can huddle under, enveloped in downy self-help. You came as a cry that keeps us awake at night. What counsel is this, I wonder, for those of us who would mend the world? It's easy to become one of the scholars, cocooned in my room of written wisdom, hunting the right rituals that may save me. Regular exercise, meditation, compost, kombucha, conservation, ballet, but you move beyond our empires and experts, 
the flurry of remedies that fill the air without ever accumulating, leave our frostbitten ground just as bare as before. Unlike all our gilded videos and faceless radio hosts, you stepped into our broken systems and lived them, then peeled back their crumpled casings to reveal the world as it should be, a freedom where water doesn't have to be frozen to stand on, where the night air teems not with ice chips or toxins, but music, which might sound like angels. It's a brief flash, this mystery, before our winter eclipses it again, the sky going black and moonless, the river's cement bridges glazed with frost. But your call simmers with us like starlight, tapping the edge of our atmosphere with a hundred thousand tiny fires. Thank you. The poets and the prophets, the poets and the prophets. I love hearing from uh, our artists and our poets um, because I think in some ways they do function as the prophets among us. Uh, they're able to say things that uh, get at truth in ways that regular prose or people like me don't or can't get to. So um, thanks, Brandon, and I look forward to the rest of the series. Um, so friends, it's Advent. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's here. Uh, so welcome to it. Uh, Advent, of course, for hundreds of years, has been a part of this rhythm in the church calendar. Um, I didn't grow up around the church calendar, so I always like to do a little introduction. Um, and the church calendar is this sort of rhythmic yearly process that we go through that helps us find ourselves and navigate the, the redemptive actions of God in the story of Scripture. So it has things like Epiphany, where the light of God comes into the world at Christmas. It has Lent and Holy Week at the spring of the year, uh, Easter. Um, it has All Saints Sunday and uh, Christ the King Sunday, which was actually last week. Um, it has a Pentecost, where the giving of the Spirit is given to the church. And it has this season of Advent. Um, the story begins anew every year on the first Sunday of Advent. So, uh, welcome to it. I hope that you're here for the whole, the whole show. Um, Advent is a season of waiting and longing. It's about expectation and hoping um, the prophet Isaiah, which we'll read from today, has that language of longing and hope and expectation. Um, it includes the four Sundays before Christmas and these sort of traditional words of hope, love, peace, and joy. Uh, candles that are lit for each one of those Sundays and then a Christ candle in the middle, which will be lit on Christmas Eve. And um, despite its apparent darkness, it, it goes through the darkest part of our season in the Northern Hemisphere. It is hands down my favorite season in the church calendar. I love it. It feels like this pregnant pause before the world is about to change. Um, and it sort of wraps up and holds all the things that we hope for that I think really do, in fact, move us towards wholeness. Um, it, for me, it's like, you know, hope and expectation, they're all in full bloom as we enter into winter. So there's this sort of juxtaposition happening. Um, if you've ever been to the Como Conservatory in January or February, it's kind of like that. You know what I'm talking about? Have you, how many of you have never been to the Como Conservatory? Please raise your hands. Don't be shy. It's okay. I, friends, this is like the hidden gem of the Twin Cities in the winter. I'm telling you, when I just can't bear it anymore, I go and I look, put my little money in the donation box, and then you open the door to a whole world of things that are alive and green, like pure oxygen. It's 
I'll see you there in January, okay? Uh, that's what I feel like Advent is like, you know, that, that, that uh, you have this sort of juxtapositions of hope and expectation all there, but then in the middle of winter. Um, one guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writes this about Advent. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater to come. This is the season of Advent. The word Advent uh, is a noun. It means the arrival of a notable person, place, or thing. Uh, the advent of television, the beginning of something, the arrival of something. The Latin word is Adventus. It means uh, coming, which is translated from a Greek word, perusia, which means like the return of. Um, and actually, uh, ironically enough, Christmas and Advent weren't connected to each other early on. So like in the, in the 4th and 5th centuries, the beginning of the church story... Advent was about the celebration of baptisms. It was a season of like preparation for new converts into the faith. So they would sort of prepare themselves and fast and penance and prayer and preparation for baptism. And then in the 6th century, it gets connected to the, the return of Jesus, like the second coming of Christ, not Christmas. It's not until the 14th or 15th century that Advent and Christmas get connected to each other like we know them to be. And so similarly, like Israel looked back when you think about from the prophet's time, they look back on God's action in, in the Exodus and bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land, and they were asking for, they were hoping for, the return of God to Israel, to Jerusalem, in fact. And we as the church now look back on Christmas and the action of God, the epiphany, the light of God, and we look forward to the return of God and God's kingdom, the, res the restoration, the, re the renewal of all things. So this is the season of Advent. Um, and this series, or this, this season, we're going to begin a series today uh, called Names. Because in the book of Isaiah, uh, the ninth chapter, we hear a famous verse, Handel's Messiah is based on it. And the prophet gives us four names of God. That there's this moment that Israel's waiting for. So if you can imagine, if you will, like, Life is, 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 is going downhill fast. It is not good. Like, there's an occupying empire who's got their, their thumb on, the, you know, on their neck, their boot on their neck. They're waiting for God. They're supposed to be the people of God, and God's supposed to be like God. And yet there's this other occupying kingdom, and there's suffering and oppression. And they're all asking, like, when will God return? And the prophet says this in that moment. So, like, think of your worst moment in life. Like, where you just thought, it couldn't get any worse. And then a voice, a moment, a, a message of hope comes to you. This is that moment for Israel. So if you can, I invite you to stand. And we will uh, we'll read this short little verse and the first of the names which we'll look at today. And then we'll just add a name each week throughout Advent. So this is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Pray with me. God, as we turn our attention to the prophet's words in this story, which came to these people so long ago, it seems like there's nothing that we have in common with them, and yet at the same time, there's so much that we have in common. A world that seems to be breaking apart at the seams at times, and divisions, and war, and violence, and we need a word of hope. We need a counselor, a wonderful counselor. So as we turn our attention to it, Spirit, do what you do, I pray, in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And the church said together,
Amen. You may be seated. Uh, this verse, for unto us a child is given. You guys remember that song? You're like, I, can, I am just like instantly, every time I hear that, I am at Grace Church Roseville. They have two chairs up here, you know, the high back chairs that the pastor and the music pastor would sit in. I think we should bring those back, by the way. But the, the choir's up there, my grandma Jeannie and grandpa Elmer are up there, and they are just going to town. For unto us a child is given. Da, 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 da. Every time I, I hear that verse, I just think I'm, I'm there in that moment, and I cannot help but laugh. Because when I was a kid, I just thought it was so funny. You know, my brothers and I, on Christmas Eve, we'd go to my other grandparents' church, Knox Presbyterian, and we'd sit in a row, you know, pretty little maids all in a row, all five of us, and my Uncle Mike would be down on one end, and he would just be jabbing us and trying to make us laugh and just egging us on to, like, cut up. And my parents would be like, knock it off! And my mom would be like, Michael, stop it! And then there'd be the choir, you know, the... the... (laughs) This one year, this trio of, of... just beautiful women, uh, did this version uh, of, um, oh gosh, I think it was like the Little Drummer Boy or something, but it was, it was just terrible. You know, like the worst church music you've ever heard in your life, you know? And that, that's what I think of when I get to Advent and Christmas and this verse. So I hope that was fun for you down memory lane. Um, the first of the four names the prophet gives is a wonderful counselor that God, this promised Messiah, remember these people don't know it's Jesus. It's like, this is pre-Jesus, friends. So they don't know who it's going to be. They don't know what what this person's going to look like, what they're going to sound like, what they're going to do. They're trying to imagine what the Messiah, this promised person who would come and return and restore and renew, rebuild Israel, would do and be. And the prophet says, he will be a wonderful counselor. So what does it mean that God is a counselor? Um, I don't know about you, I don't know if you know this or not, but Awaken has more mental health professionals and therapists per capita at this place than any other church I've ever worked at. I don't know why, that, yeah, maybe that's a good thing. I think it is. Um, and we have theories about why that is. My wife and I talk about it often. We're like, what, what is it about this place that attracts all the, all the therapists? But they're everywhere. There's probably a therapist in your row right now. So I was like, well, we're doing a, ser- a sermon series, uh, w- you know, God's counselors. So I thought, well, let's ask one of the counselors what they think. So I asked Nick Howe, who's a member of our community, a practicing therapist. I said, Nick, what does it mean to you that God is called a counselor? They're traveling on the way back uh, from the holidays. So he wrote this, and, and, and I asked if I could share it. He said yes. So he said, it means a great deal to know the heart of God being with us, Emmanuel, is connected to this idea of being a counselor. Early on in my career as a therapist, I was introduced to the entomology of the word psychotherapy. So psyche in Greek uh, is the word for soul, and therapy, Socrates talks about, is like someone who takes care of horses. Uh, They give them water and food and take them for exercise. They clean their stalls. So psychotherapy, in my opinion, is soul care, which sounds pretty rooted in the idea of the Messiah. Being a therapist, I aspire to be with people in their chaos, their trauma, their questions, their anger offering them kindness, listening, empathy, loving questions, and guidance. That's the ideal. And then I sit and think about God there for me in the same way, patiently with me in my chaos, the trauma, the questions, the anger, the shame, the depression, and offering kindness, not judgment, wanting me to gently unfold as the most true version of myself. It's incredibly humbling to desire to emulate this with my clients and wonderfully comforting to experience it from God. 
So God as a counselor, the word as Brianna mentioned that, that's used here in this uh, wonderful counselor could actually be, there could be five names in this passage, but most people connect wonderful and counselor because we use it as an adjective. But in the original Hebrew, the word wonder, Pele, is actually used as a noun. And it means a marvel or a wonder, like unbelievable, astonishing, as it were. Uh, and then ya'atz, this word for counselor, means to advise, to consult, to give counsel. Um, in the book of Judges, uh, one, of the, one of the prophets asks the Lord, like, what is your name so that we may honor you when you come, or when, when your word comes true? And he replies, the angel, which they then call God, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. That's the word mar- uh, um, wonderful, wonder, right? But counselor. Ya'atz. What does it mean that God is a counselor? So in the, the Old Testament is written mostly in Hebrew, and then the New Testament is written mostly in Greek. So ya'atz is the, the Hebrew word for counselor, and the Greek word for that word, when it gets translated, is paraclete. Now, if you've been around the Bible long enough, you probably have heard this word before. It's what is used of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the comforter, the paraclete, right? If you've heard parachurch is an organization that comes alongside of the church to do work. So this word paraclete often gets translated like wisdom or advocate or comforter. And I thought that's so interesting. We're talking about God as a counselor, but then when it gets translated into the New Testament, we get wisdom and advocate and comforter. So what I want to do this morning in the time we have remaining to sort of get into this word and understand what does it mean that God is a counselor is to take these three words that gets translated into wisdom, advocate, and comfort and kind of explore those. So let's start with this first one. The, uh, The prophet Isaiah says that the Messiah, the one who is to come, will be a wonderful counselor. We know this person is Jesus. And I want to suggest that that Jesus will be and is our wise counsel, wisdom. Uh, If you think about a counselor and what they do, they come alongside of someone who is looking for wisdom, who's looking for understanding, a perspective that maybe they don't see, or a way, a path forward that is life-giving and good. This is what counselors do. They help you make sense of the past so you can step into the future with wisdom, right? And the Bible is arguing, and I tend to agree, that There is a path that is wise. There is a way of being human. There's a way of walking your life out that is better than other paths. The prophet Jeremiah says to the people who stand at a crossroads, take the well-worn path of wisdom. When John opens his gospel, he says that the word, in the beginning, the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that word that gets translated word is logos in Greek, And that has this sense of like a blueprint. That Jesus, who is the word, is a blueprint for wise living as a human. Jesus' longest sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. It's a blueprint for how to be human, right? Forgiveness is better than bitterness. Servant leadership, humility, meekness, power, strength under control. Not domineering over the top. Jesus says, this is the path. This is wise counsel. So as we begin Advent, I don't know about you, if anybody's been uninvited to Christmas yet, but there's a good chance that there's a little relational struggle in the room when it comes to the holidays. Can I get an amen? Maybe as you've already experienced it, and Thanksgiving was a total, uh, I can't use that word in church, 
it was bonkers. It was crazy. It was a train wreck. And maybe you're anticipating Christmas with a little fear and intrepidation. So I just want to pause as a church and say, as we enter this season, the scriptures is saying that Jesus, this Messiah, is our counselor. And part of that counsel is wisdom. That Jesus' life and teachings is wise counsel. So as we think about interacting with our crazy uncle or our, our, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, brother or sister, can I invite you as the church to remember Jesus' teachings? Even Go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. What, is, what are the things he's saying and what kind of life did he live? Because he is not only our counselor, but a wise a wisdom on display for us if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. So an invitation as you enter whatever chaos the holidays may have or may bring, that Jesus is our wise counsel. And it's on display, it's on offer, so we would be wise to take, it up, take him up on it. Secondly, Jesus is an advocate. So this Messiah, the, the, the Isaiah promises, who we now know as Jesus, is our advocate. What does that even mean? I remember as a kid, my mom used to watch Perry Mason. Does anybody remember Perry Mason? It was on black and white, right? It was like Cheers, Perry Mason, and MASH. Those were the shows. Perry Mason, it's an old like lawyer show about you know this guy named Perry Mason who evidently was a great lawyer. I, I watch Suits now as sort of like the contemporary version of that. You know, it's, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie, you know, Suits, if you're looking for a show. Uh, but there's this moment in the, in the courtroom, Perry Mason and in, in his Suits, where the, the judge says, will the defendant please rise? Do you know this moment? And then what happens? The person who's accused, who's on trial, who's being questioned, stands up, but somebody stands up next to them. And it's their lawyer, also known as counselor, also known as advocate. An advocate is somebody who takes up your case, who, who works on your behalf, who even sometimes fights for you and defends you. Your advocate in the Bible, Paul, in the letter to Romans, uses this metaphor of a courtroom often. And he essentially says that we, you, me, as humans, we miss the mark, right? There's a, there's a path, there's a wise path to being a human, and we sometimes veer off of it. And if we stand guilty of veering off the path, that Jesus is our advocate. And that's really good news, friends, because if Jesus uh, lived and died and resurrected... Uh, if, if the penalty for veering off the path is death in some sort of way, Jesus comes, lives, dies a death that we deserve, and then it beats death, is resurrected from dead. So if, whoa, gosh, I'm getting excited. If, 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 you, ha if you need an advocate, like, this is the guy you want on your team. Like, he's the guy you want because he's already beaten death in resurrection. So good news. What does it mean to have someone who's your advocate? It means you're not alone. I don't know if you feel alone in the world. I sure do. I had a panic attack last night sitting at my kitchen table. I felt very alone. If you need somebody to fight for you, to defend your cause, to open a door that had been previously closed, I have a sneaky suspicion that we could all use an advocate. Some of you may know. I, I d debated as to whether to tell this story or not, but I'm going to do it anyways. Some of you know that I'm in a bit of trouble with our denomination. And uh, 
So I have to meet with this group called the Board of Ordered Ministry, which oversees like ordinations and credentialing. The Board of Ordered Ministry was not from Harry Potter, but it sounds a lot like it is. So I meet with this whole group of people, and there's like 25 or 30 of them. And I got to be honest, it's super intimidating. Like, it's not a group of people that you want to sit in front of. I was there once before, and I don't recommend going back, but I'm going back. And one of uh, the beautiful things about this process in our, in our denomination is that if you are before the Board of Ordered Ministry, you get to bring an advocate. That you don't have to sit alone in that room that you can call on one of your colleagues and they will take up your case. They will, on your behalf, represent you to this group of people. So the first time I went, I called my friend Steve Weens, who pastors across town, and he sat with me in that first meeting. And then the second time, a few years ago, my friend Scott in New York, one of my best friends uh, in, in pastoral ministry, and he was my advocate. And you may be interested and maybe uh, shocked to know that my advocate this time is a guy named Dick Luco. And some of you were here three years ago when I got suspended for praying at the wrong wedding. And Dick Luco was the guy that suspended me. He sat on this stage and took questions from like 300 of you. And you were relentless. <laughs> He told me, he's like, I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I've done a lot of these church meetings, and my favorite church meeting I've ever been to was the one when I came to Awaken. <laughs> he said, I've never seen a church take up their pastor's cause like Awaken did for you. And you advocated for me in that moment. And I didn't feel like I was alone. And... Dick and I have had a lot of conversations since that moment, and he's a dear friend of mine, and I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and he said, you know, Micah, we talked a few months ago. He called me. He said, can I, can I call you? I said, sure. So we, we chatted, and he said, I need to apologize to you, and I need to apologize to Awaken, because what I could have done some things that I didn't do, and I should have tried harder to do some things that I tried to do, and what happened to you wasn't right. And the way it happened wasn't right. And I need to ask your forgiveness. And then he said, you probably have a hundred people you could call before you ever called me. But if you asked me to be your advocate this time, I would say yes. And I thought about that. And I thought, what kind of story would that be? Um, here's a guy who wants to, wants a, wants a redo in some ways, and I said, I need to know why you want to do it. And he said, because I respect you, and because I love you, and I think that our denomination is worse without you, and I want to speak on, well on your behalf. And so, Dick Luco is my advocate. So in January, when I go before the board again, I will have someone who is an interesting story that I thought you would be interested to know but who will speak on my behalf and be my advocate in that moment. And so I guess I just wonder for you, is there any sense in which you could use an advocate where someone who would stand beside you and hold your cause as their own? Because the, this story that's being told, like that's what the prophet is saying, that God who will come and be the Messiah, the promised one, will be your counselor, 
will offer you wisdom and counsel and will be your advocate. And so, do you believe that's true? Because the scriptures are saying that it is. And if you need that, it's available. Let me close with this, and that is this idea of comfort, that the Messiah, who's the counselor, will advocate and will bring wisdom, but will also be our comfort. Uh, Isaiah 40, the prophet says, Comfort, comfort my people, Israel, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her, her year of service has been completed. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, which is what John says later. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be made low. All the rough ground will become level. The rugged places plain. Does anybody here need any comfort today? Is the, the, the road of your life a little rough and ragged? And if in any way it is or has been or will be, don't forget that this is true, that God offers comfort to us in our need. Think about Jesus when he was here for crying out loud. That's all he did. He was just a dispensary of comfort. Anyone who needed it, he's just like giving it out, right? Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Woman who nobody sees at the well, I see you. Woman caught in adultery, I'll stand with you. You who lost your brother, I'll weep with you and then resurrect him from the dead. I'm not just here to weep with you, friends. This is going to be a good party. Jesus is bringing comfort everywhere he goes. And I wonder if anybody here needs comfort. Jesus did this in his life. And then he said, when I leave, in John chapter 16, I will leave someone with you who will be your comforter. And this person, the Spirit, will say what I say and do what I did for you. This is a deep end of the pool theologically, but this is what the Spirit of God is doing in the world. It's bringing and saying and doing the things Jesus did and said when he was here. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not, but I'll just share. This usually works one of two ways for me. I'll put it one of them in mystical experiences and the other in very practical experiences. There are people in this room where if you ask them and to tell them the story of their experience of God, you will swear they were on drugs. Like, it doesn't sound like reality. It, you can't, words don't do justice, right? Where there are moments in our lives, and I can testify to them. I shared a couple of them a few weeks ago when I was, my parents were getting divorced and my family was falling apart, and I felt like, like I was going to drown. And the word of the Lord came to me in my bedroom at 1290 Charles on the top bunk, Isaiah. I'm reading the prophet, and he says, listen, God will not like snuff out a smoldering wick. If the waters rise, you will not drown. If the fire comes, you will be spared. And it was as if the comfort of God came to me in that moment. I can't explain it. I don't know how it happens. I don't know why it happens. But it was real. And I will go to my grave telling you that it was real. A few weeks ago, I was up on the North Shore. I'm driving at the sunrise, and I hear this podcast. I'm listening, and it's like literally like the comforting spirit presence of God comes to me as sure as the sun rose that day and said, Micah, I have been with you the whole time. Never have you been alone. I don't know how or why or when, but these things happen, and we experience the mystical presence of the divine bringing comfort. So there's that. I, there aren't books on it. Like, I can't tell you how or why, but I'll testify that it's true. 
and I'm guessing there's a number of you here who would testify to it as well. The saints who've gone before us have tell us, it's true, it happens. And then there's the practical piece. There are just like, there's a, there's a pie dish right there. That pie was comfort to the Witham family. If you didn't know, I wasn't here last week because there was COVID in my house. My wife got COVID, one of my kids got COVID. So we thought, you know, Mike, you probably shouldn't come to the church. <laughs> You're all welcome. And I was bummed. I was super bummed. I, I don't miss, like, church because one time in 11 years, I've missed church on Sunday morning because I was sick. So I was watching you on the podcast. You were all here, and I wasn't. And people brought meals. They brought pie. And that was comfort. And I'm guessing that there, you could tell story after story after story of when somebody came to you and brought, manifest, made known, was an ambassador of comfort. If you bear the image of God, which I would argue you do, and if you tap into that spirit, that spark, that light, and offer it to someone else, guess what happens? The comfort of the divine shows up in the world when the church is the church. The prophet Isaiah says to the people who had been walking in deep darkness for hundreds of years, a light will come. And when it does, it will be in the form of a baby. And that baby will grow to be a wonderful counselor. Someone who offers wisdom on what it means to be human and a path for you to follow. Someone who will take up your case and your cause, who will fight for you and defend you. Be your advocate. And who will bring comfort to you in your pain and in your hurt and in your sadness. Friends, every Christmas and every Easter, I struggle because it's the same story every year. And everybody's like, I wonder what the pastor's going to say this year. I wonder what take on it he's going to have or what she's going to say. And some years it happens and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. And other years it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? And I think that this series and this season of Advent, I'm just really glad that we're together. Right? Last year, you were all on screens and it was terrible. I hated it. And this year, you're not. And we're here. And I think this year is going to be a lot of me just reminding you of some things that maybe you already know but have forgotten. So I hope that today, maybe 10 years from now, you look back on this and you don't remember what I said, but you just know that there was sustenance. And the question that we'll keep coming back to is that we have a choice that this story is offering a particular version of reality, a, tr a truth, a claim about how things are. And we choose to believe it or not. That's faith. That's the spiritual life. And so I would just offer to you this morning that this, that God has come and is a counselor offering wisdom and advocacy and comfort, that that's true. And that you live your life as though it is and welcome it and experience it and say yes to it at every turn. I believe that path bears more fruit and is the best way. And it's the one Jesus offers. So I offer it to you today. Pray with me if you will. God, as we take a moment this morning to be still and quiet, to listen to the still small, of you, still small voice of your spirit, I pray that you would do what you do speak 
and come to us wherever we are and offer what we need. Be our counselor, offering wisdom and advocacy and comfort. As we close this morning, we want to invite you to the table. And uh, so in the next few minutes, Mel's going to lead us in song. Uh, communion will be available to you. So we invite you to come if you've not done this before, if you're new. Uh, down the side aisles, there's sanitizer at the stations there. Grab a little of that. There'll be a piece of bread. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Uh, there's red wine and white grape juice. Uh, the bread is gluten-free. And you'll hear the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, remember. Remember what I've taught you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood which should be shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So this table is not the church's table. It's the Lord's table. It's not mine. It's not anybody in some powerful position in Rome. It's Christ's table. And it's made ready for those who love God, those who want to love God more. So come. If you have a little bit of faith or a lot of faith or a shred of faith, if you've been here often or maybe not for a long time or even ever before, if you've tried to follow and failed, come. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And they're for you. So come and eat. Take it in. Remember the wisdom. Like, let it become a part of who you are and then live it into the world. So I invite you to come to the table. Kiddos, if you're in the room, Mandy will be down front with honey and blessings for you as well so you can just make your way up here. But I invite you to come. I love Advent. Um, there are a couple of stories in my life as a pastor which I will always remember. One of them is uh, one of my nephews used to come here and they would come down and get honey. And uh, it was when they first started coming and we were over at their house and the mom said, you know, Basil, what is, what's Uncle Micah say when you walk down to the front? And he's like, I don't know, mom. I'm pretty sure he's speaking Spanish. <laughs> uh, it's may the word of God be like honey on your lips, by the way, it's not Spanish. But um, one of the youngsters came up today and, you know, it's a, I, here's my theory on communion. If anybody wants it and we have like any shred of belief that the divine presence is somehow mysteriously part of this thing, why would we say no to anyone? So I say, you know, let the kids come. So one of the kids comes up and he's like, what's that? I said, oh, it's bread. Said, I'm going to feed this to the birds. As you should as you should, the body of Christ for the birds too. For all of creation, yeah? Yeah. So happy Advent, friends. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.